0: Two interesting things come out of this passage. I was asked to preach last week and given this passage to preach from at Corey Zion Church. So I began to work on it and I said, boy, this is a familiar passage. I realized that 44 years ago, the first day in Dr. Webb's class on preaching, he says, open your Bible to James chapter 4, and I want you to come back with a sermon outline about submit to God, Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. And that goes back all that way. But then again, from another perspective, as I looked at today's message, I wanted to share with you all one of the things that happens to me regularly here in Brazil since I've come back. I'll be going around town, and somebody will be talking with me. And it could be at Hardee's. It could be in the Kroger's or wherever. And I'll be talking with someone, and they'll say, I used to go to First Christian Church. I said, yes, you did. Do you go anywhere? Well, I go elsewhere now. Or lots of times, I don't go at all. And I want to ask him a question. What went wrong? Why did you put God on the back burner? Why did you give up on a good thing? And I want to ask people that question. I think that's something we need to ask ourselves. Why do people give up on God? First of all, there's a reason they give up by choice. Remember that story about the prodigal son who went to his father and he says, he's got all this good stuff surrounding him. He says, I want my inheritance. And he packs up and leaves and squanders it. There are people who, in our community and in our lives personally, who just give up on God and they walk away from their personal faith they walk away from their church they walk away from their friends and that's a tragic thing that pastors really take to heart when they walk away and they don't want any other contact some people give up because something happened to them now life does not assure us that everything is going to be perfect and something I learned as a police chaplain in one of our studies that we did was when bad things happen to us, it could be a divorce, it could be bankruptcy, it could be the death of a child, it could be all kinds of things, we have a choice to get better or get bitter. And those are choices that we make. And some people just quit when something doesn't line up with where they are in life some people give up on staying religious you know these are people to meet and say hey you don't go to church no i can be a good christian and i can do this i don't need the church you know there are those folks that we cross regularly in that category Some people give up because of bad theology. You know, they get burned. Name it and claim it, blab it and grab it. You know, prosperity, gospel. They get told that if you become a Christian, everything's going to be good. Well, you couldn't tell anybody a bigger lie. It's going to be good because God's going to help you through it. Then we run across, some people say, I just give up. You know, so-and-so that goes to church there. You'll never guess where I saw them the other night. And you can put that place in there. Or you can never guess how they treat their employees or their co-workers. You wouldn't believe it. I don't want to be around people like that. And they give up on God. We live in an age where commitment is a hard thing to get from a lot of people. But following Christ demands a commitment on all of our parts. Let's talk about some of those people. Talk about one of those folks. We all know people will say, I've tried church. I got nothing out of it or it didn't work for me. I'm glad your faith works for you, but it doesn't work for me. You just want to ask them out of curiosity... How did it not work? What part of Christianity did not work for you? And they'll go on and say, I went to church every Sunday since I was 18. I prayed to God and never got an answer. I had this problem come along. It just doesn't work. Let's turn the tables a little bit. What if they ask you, why does it work for you and not for me. After we got up off the ground from the knockout punch, how would we answer them? Well, we answer them by saying, Let me tell you something. Sometimes it doesn't work for me, too. I pray and nothing happens. I do good things and I do good works, but I still don't think things work out the way I planned. I've been a Christian my whole life, and I still mess up and blow up. I tell people, some of my best preaching happens at 4066 South Littlebrook Court. It has more hellfire and damnation in it there than it does at church. I have those moments, and you have those moments. Why does it work? Because lots of times you and I use Christianity to get what we want. To have an easy life, a better job, a wife and a family, and all these great things. Let me tell you what, when we approach it from that direction, we're going the wrong way on a one-way street. We don't get a lot out of our faith and we find disappointments because we're not taking the right path. Or going the wrong way to get it. Jesus does promise you that the Christian life is good. It's not an easy life, it's a good life. He promises us fulfillment and purpose. He promises our prayers will be answered. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. He promises that we can experience God's power at work in our lives. And we can experience what people call good old-time happiness or contentment. Now, let's be realistic. Those are lofty goals and lofty promises from God. But there's times in my life where things haven't always been good. And I know in your life, too. There's been times where you've been frustrated. You've been disappointed. You've been literally mad about things. That's just the reality of life. But the side effect of that, or the part that gives us hope, is that we're not doing those things alone. We're doing them with Jesus Christ in our hearts, in our life. Now, the book of James, I often call it the book of practical Christianity. It's nuts and bolts stuff. It's the popular mechanics of faith and it gives us a lot of direction about everyday life but he also dispels in James some myths most of us look at those early Christians and we put them on a pedestal and we think that things in that early church were perfect Somehow those people who lived in that first century were better than you and I. They didn't have all the sideshow junk going on in their fellowship. i tell you what, that's not true. Then as now. There were some people who made a commitment to follow Jesus and they lived it half-heartedly. There were people who stirred up trouble, complained, criticized, argued, gossiped, And made a nuisance of themselves. And they wondered why their prayers weren't answered. James explains to us the source of the problem. That if we're discontented in our spiritual life, that if we're discontented in our church, if we're discontented in our life in general, the source of the problem may not be God, but it's us. Let's focus on James 4 today, beginning at verse 1. James asks, what's causing quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want, but you don't have, and you scheme, and you kill to get. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from others. Yet you have, don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? Say it again. If you want to be a friend of God, friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Today, I want to submit to you the premise that if Christianity, if your faith isn't working the way it should in your life, we need to look inwardly and upwardly. And that's what we're going to talk about today. James says that our desires is a source of our misery. Desires. That word comes from the same root that we get the word hedonism. You know, that's the you have to review of life. All about me and all about my actions. It's a self-serving type of desire and sometimes we even go about doing the wrong things. Or it causes us to go after the right things the wrong way. James says you scheme and kill and quarrel. He wasn't talking about killing literally. He was literally saying some of you will stop at nothing to get what you desire. And he goes on to say you don't have what you desire because you don't ask. And when you ask, you ask with the wrong motive. All of us have done that. There's something we wanted and we put God on the back burner and we stepped out and we bought it or we pursued it and it's only brought us problems. Now the whole idea was, he says in verse 3, that when you ask for something and when you get something, you spend it, what you get on your own pleasures. You see that own comes back in again that self-centeredness the desires of the heart he even goes on to call them spiritual adulterers spiritual adultery where other things and other people and other ideas come before God your is the big word when we're focusing on ourselves we're not honoring God we're not using what we've been blessed with to help other people. We're only looking at our pleasures. Now, hey Mark, it be been pretty hard. We all fight those battles between the world and those spiritual things that are out there. And he goes on in verse 4 to say, Don't you realize that friendship with this world makes you an enemy of God? What does friendship with this world literally mean? It's not the same world where Jesus says go into all the world. Or for God, God gave a Son. And sent His Son of the world to forgive us of our sins. It's all about me. It's all about me. You know, and that's a very easy thing to do in today's world. To live a life that's all about me. Now, Everybody likes to pick on Mark. I did not hear this today, but I have a group of people that are my fans. Their theme song might be, Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I get better looking each morning. When I look in the mirror, I say, To know me is to love me. I must be one wonderful man. Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble. But I'm doing the best that I can. <laughs> you know what? And I didn't hear it today because he didn't say me. I have one individual who, lives, who resides in the center section up here. And usually when I come in to preach, he tries to put me in a humble position. He says, if I knew you were preaching today, I would have went to Grace Chapel. <laughs> But you know, that's what James is talking about. Being so set on ourselves that God can't use us and it tears us down. We need to have, the world's attitude is I'm living for myself, I'm not living for God. I'm accumulating what I can accumulate. I'm doing it all right here. Living for the world is about satisfying ourselves. Satisfying our desires. What's sad? We have people in the church who try to walk on both sides of that fence. One fit in the, foot in the world and one fit, foot in God's way. And they're always off balance. And they're always, usually those people that complain the most and have the most issues. When we say, If your aim is to enjoy this world. Not if your aim is to enjoy this life. There are two different things. God wants you and I to enjoy this life. He wants people outside this world to enjoy their life, their family, their marriage, their job. And maybe what we're talking about is a moment where the lights pop on. And you say, maybe I've been... Going about things the wrong way. I've been using God as a vending machine where I put a dollar in and I get my Snicker bar out. Maybe I've been thinking too much about myself rather than others. Today, I want to talk about providing a path for all of us to move from being self centered to being God centered in our lives because that's what James is talking about in verse 80 says draw close to God and he will draw close to you isn't it a wonderful promise you know we've all tried to get close to someone and they push us away it could be someone at work that we've had a discussion with or it could be a boss could be even in our own family and that's not a pleasant feeling When you take a step toward God, He takes a step toward you. you know, God's just waiting for you and I to take a step toward Him. Now, when I was growing up in my college years, I had a wonderful truck called an International Scout. It was one of the first SUVs before they were called SUVs. The only bad thing about him, if you were a ladies' man, it had two bucket seats, a three-speed shifter on the floor, and another bucket seat, and it had a spot this wide in between the two. And you know, when you got a girl sitting on that side, she don't want to sit in that hole. So I made the first move. I made a little box that went in the middle. Wilma moved over, and she came home with me. <laughs> And that's the same way God is. If we make that move toward Him, if we make that move from our selfish individualism toward serving God, He's going to meet us halfway. David talks about getting that change of heart. He says in Psalm 37 verse 4, he says, Take delight in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Take delight in the Lord. Put God up here. Run everything by Him. Find your joy in honoring Him in your life. Delight yourself in God, knowing that you're walking with Him, that you're serving Him, that you're pursuing that relationship with Him. And that starts when you say, God, I'm going to make a step towards you. That's the first step that you and I both need to take. And there's times that I look back and I look and I think, you know, I'm not as close as I was. My life isn't what God really intends it to be. And I have to readjust things in my life. All of us do. And today's kind of one of those days that we call you to that. And you say, how do I begin to do that? And that's today we're going to wrap up by saying this. First of all, make sure you're putting God in his proper place. Humble yourself, therefore, before God. What's that saying? That's saying I'm not the center of the universe. One of our children, this was one of our parenting techniques would get on a roll. And dad's comeback for her was actually those words, in spite of what you think, the world does not revolve around you. And she knew she was on thin ice. But saying, and that's one of the hard things all of us have a hard time doing because we all want to be number one in our world. But God wants to be number one in our world. Seek ye first the kingdom. You know, following him. Second thing you need to do is put the devil in his proper place. James says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist the devil. We all know what's out there. You know, it's amazing. When you talk about desires. We were talking about this in a staff meeting last week. We get all of these impulses every day on TV. Somebody wanting to sell you something. Wanting to pique your desires. We live in a world that's just full of that stimulation. And we have to realize sometimes that stimulation is good. Sometimes that stimulation is bad. And we have to keep it in check. And it's the devil wanting to find a way to get into your heart and your life and distract you from what you're doing. We need to have that balance. Realize that there's evil in the world. C.S. Lewis puts it this way there are two equal and opposite errors in which our race can fall about devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence, the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. We live in a world that's filled with evil. And there are people who totally ignore it, and there are people who look for a devil under every rock. But you and I have to find a balance as Christians so we can walk our walk and live our life for the Lord so that we aren't tripped up along the way. Put him in his place. We need to make steps toward a relationship with God. Take that first step to walk back or that step to get involved in a small group. Get involved in ministry. Put your faith to work. Fourth thing, you need to make sure you get rid of what you need to get rid of. Let me tell you what, folks. If life's like my parents' house, you accumulate a lot of stuff. Ask any child who's cleaned a parent's house out how much stuff they have. And good stuff. But there's times in our lives that we have stuff that owns us. We had a little girl that came across the street to babysit for us one day, and Wilma had fixed chili soup for her. And she was going to watch our oldest child, and we got ready to go where we were going, so Wilma put chili soup and crackers out. Little girl says, How many crackers can I have? We said, you can have as many as you want. She says, we only get three at our house. Her mom and dad had this desire to retire at 55, build a cabin in Gatlinburg, and retire. And they lived on a budget so tight that they could only give out three crackers. Fortunately, over the years, they've come back to know the Lord in retirement years. But, you know, that total goal in their life was ruling their life. I can't go to church because I can't even put a dollar in. You see, there are things out there that choke us. Choke out our opportunities for God to bless us. We need to clear those out. Maybe say, I'm not going to waste any more time doing that. I'm going to do something positive with that that honors God. Last thing, make sure you're not going through the motions. So easy. To get in the habit of being a Christian. Where you lose your vibrancy. Where you come to expect a certain thing. I said, Dan, some Sunday change everything and see what happens. Do everything, but do it in a different spot. Because we get so ingrained. The three songs in communion, preach preach in decision time and walk out the door. Oftentimes we're living our spiritual life both inside and outside the church on autopilot. I want you to realize that God cares about your life and where you're at. He doesn't want you to become stagnant. He wants us all to continue to grow beyond where we're at today. And I know you're going to walk out in our community and you're going to run into so-and-so and say, you know, they used to come to our church. Wonder what's going on. And you're going to ask them a question. And hopefully get a chance to what God's doing in a great way here right now. Or maybe you're that person that's in that desert portion of your life, your spiritual life, is just kind of like, huh. Come to Christ and come to God for a sense of refreshing that only He can offer. A sense of renewal. You know, we're getting ready for a big fall push and part of that push is To get you rooted. Get you strong. So that in your personal life and your life out in the world, you're the person God wants you to be. That's our heart's desire for you today. It's not to walk away from faith, but to find strength and encouragement and help from God's Word, God's family, and God's Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for an opportunity to be here today and to encourage people to walk closer with you to allow your spirit to compel them to allow you to have full reign in their life one step one step of the heart, one step of their actions, is all we ask today. Because we know that you'll meet them halfway. We just pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.